we have this thing that you, we see in converts we call convertitis. You can stand up for what is right and what the rights that Allah has given women. Unrelenting Twitter abuse. It was because I was a woman and because I was a Muslim. I will keep trying. And when I stop trying, that's when I know there's a problem. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you all. Welcome to another Safi Bros podcast. Um, we are here today with an inspirational episode of the Safi Bros podcast where we bring you a remarkable journey through life challenges and also achievements. Today, we are truly honored to have a distinguished sister of ours, a scholar, an author, an advocate whose journey is nothing short of inspiring, especially to me. Zakalakhir. She's a voice that resonates across diverse platforms, mashallah, shedding light of important issues, mashallah, that she has and so many issues that we've spoke, she's spoken about and she's promoted the positive change within our community. Jazakumullah khair. I would like to welcome uh, dear sister, Dr. Suzanne Carlin. Assalamu alaikum rahmatullah. Thank you for having me. Welcome, welcome. We are so... Um, Honoured. Well, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited. I feel like I made it when I'm on the second (laughs) Brothers podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So today, alhamdulillah, we've got you here to share your success story. Mm -hmm. Inshallah, a inspiring story that to inspire our sisters and brothers. Inshallah, to do more and to see more. Inshallah, to see um, your trials and tribulations and your high points, inshallah, within what you've done and they can see themselves through you hmm. in this story, inshallah. So I'd like to welcome you to the Safi Breast Podcast. Thank you. Uh, I think uh, we'd first like to know about your family. How many brothers, sisters, mm. where you grew up? Yeah. Start us there. I grew up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, or out in Nunawading. Wow. <laughs> right out there. How many Muslims there? <laughs> <laughs> no, there were not. <laughs> Actually, yeah, it's funny. Now that you say that, I don't think I met a Muslim until I was in high school. Wow. So, yeah, definitely there were not yeah, many Muslims we, we out there. Yeah, we do Warren Dyer. We do not want to. We used to do events there. There's not many Muslims, <laughs> many Muslims there. I'm very yeah. honest. They used to give us $50 notes and they were very honest there. <laughs> I remember, subhanAllah. They're my people. Um, So I grew up out in Nunawading. I have one brother, one older brother. Um, So obviously in the Muslim community, that's a small family, obviously. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I grew up out there, pretty unremarkable childhood. My parents got divorced when I was about seven. And then um, which Which school? I went to Nunawading South Primary School. And then I, when my parents got divorced, I moved to Wonturner. We lived in Wonturner, so I was out there for quite a while. And I went to high school in Heathmont. And it was, it's interesting, it was pretty unremarkable. I mean, obviously, you know, my parents getting divorced, that was a big thing. Um, But I have to say, I look back and I really see that that was the right thing to happen. You know, there are times when two people just shouldn't be married. How old were you then? I was seven when they got divorced. Yeah. Um, And it was obviously, like I said, it was hard, but... You know, there really are, there are absolutely times when divorce is the better option. Yeah, it is a better happy. option to be divorced and be happy than to stay together and be miserable. And yeah. I could, that was definitely the case for my parents. Um, so it, it was, it, you know, I think I became Muslim when I was 19. And if I look backwards from that point, from before I became Muslim, I can sort of see how there was this always, I always had this awareness of God throughout my life growing up, this absolute belief absolute belief in God. And I was raised in a, a very relaxed Christian household. Like I had, the rule was we had to go to church to Sunday school until we were in high school. 
And I remember I found Sunday school super boring because they were always boring activities and it was always cold. I don't know why it was always cold and just, you know, it was, wasn't fun. Um, but despite, and so I was very happy when I got to high school and I didn't have to go to Sunday school anymore. But even despite that, I was acutely aware of the presence of God and my belief in God. And it was when I was in high school, I decided that I wanted to connect with God in a different way. And so I started going to a different church to my parents. So my parents were going to the Uniting Church, which was, it was like, don't get me wrong, it was a lovely experience. I, I cannot fault my Christian upbringing in that all the people I came into contact with, all the Christians in my life, were wonderful, good people, like the kind of people, the model, the model people to be encountered with. But I was the Uniting Church. I just kind of felt like, oh, it's a bit stuffy. It's a bit old fashioned. I want something cool. So I started going to the Baptist Church. And if you don't, I don't know how familiar you are with Christian denominations. I know. Right. (laughs) The Baptist Church was cool, you know, in that it had cool music, you know, a lot of like the the singing was drums and electric guitars and it was kind of funky. And I was like, this is cool. So I started going there without my parents. So I'd go there by myself every Sunday. And I was really feeling like I feel a connection to this. this. This is feeling better. But even then, even though I felt an absolute belief in God, there was something that was always gnawing about, I don't know, I'm not sure about this. And so, yeah, when I was 17, I just started to wonder, well, why do I believe that this is true? Is it because I actually think that it's true or is that this is just what I've been raised to believe? And so I decided I was going to look into different religions um, except Islam. Didn't want to know about Islam because it looked horrendous to me. It looked outdated, barbaric, sexist, all the standard stereotypes. And remember, this is pre-9-11. Yeah. So they, the only thing I thought I knew about Islam was this horrible movie I hope you've never seen called Not Without My Daughter. <laughs> you know it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, awful. Yes. awful. That, I mean, that was an amazing marketing campaign about yeah, Islam. Yeah, that was li- that was literally yeah. it. That which was not good. Um, and so I was like, I'm, I'm interested in different religions except Islam. Obviously, no one would ever be interested in that. But to my surprise, despite being adamantly not interested in Islam, uh, I found that I just kept stumbling across information about it. So I'd turn oh. on the TV, there'd be a documentary about Islam. Or wow. I'd open the newspaper, there'd be interviews with Muslims. I was like, oh, this is weird. Mm. And so that just kind of kept permeating a bit. And then I decided, well, I'm going to see what this religion says about itself. Wow. As a Can post- I just, yeah, till then please. you haven't met a Muslim? So I met the first Muslim I met must have been about year nine. This guy came to my school. He was a refugee from Afghanistan. And I didn't, he... And I didn't know anything about Islam, but he either he told us he was Muslim or the teacher told us he was Muslim. And so I looked up in the back then, this is pre-Google and <laughs> Wikipedia, guys. This yeah. was when we, remember you used to have to go to the, yeah. the book. The white, of the pages. I've got, I've, I've, I've white got, pages. I've got a set, but I've still got it. Right. Yeah. So I went to the encyclopedia and I'm like, yeah. okay, so what's Islam? And I look it up and the only thing it said to me was that Muslims, I don't even <laughs> Muslims believe that Muhammad was a prophet because the clouds used to follow him during the day. That was it. And I'm like, wow, that's okay. Okay. Like, and so I'm like, okay, well, I guess this is what this guy believes. That was it. So I didn't really have a lot to do with him. I mean, he he seemed like a nice guy, but I, you know, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't much of a connect, like a, you know, we weren't really close friends or anything like that. I just want to touch a point as well. Yeah. You, at a young age, you were very observant to the signs, hmm. which you just mentioned. You just hmm. mentioned that, you know, on the TV, there yeah. was a documentary 
all of a sudden somebody's Muslim's been interviewed. You, yeah. you were actually very conscious of those signs yeah, at I a young think, age? I think I remember being like, huh, this is interesting. Why mm. do I keep seeing this when I'm I don't mm. I don't care about this stuff. So I think Yeah, and I don't know, maybe is it just because now that I'm looking in retrospect, you can start to see the patterns where at the time maybe it seemed just all very coincidental. But I think it was, yeah, it, it, it sort of got to a point where I was about 17 and I thought, well, I want to know, I'd, I'd read enough for me to be like, there's more to this than I think. There's more to this than not without my daughter. So why don't I go and see what the religion says about itself as opposed to what I see Muslims doing in the name of Islam or but also the hatchet jobs that you see on, yeah. you know, back then it was today, tonight, yeah. and a current affair. Yeah. Um, so... When I was in year 12 and I was meant to be studying for my year 12 exams, I read my way through Riyadh Salahin. Oh, <laughs> I don't wow. know why I thought I'll start so with that. <laughs> what wow. a thing to choose, though. Like, you just chose that yourself. Yeah, I'm like, well, because it's not like there were, again, this was like 25 years ago. There were not a lot of books about wow. Islam in English, well. remember? Yes. Like, well, yeah. we live now and there's so many great there's books so about Islam, Allah, but yeah. back then there were about three so and they were badly Allah. printed always from <laughs> Pakistan. The pages went the wrong way. Like, there wasn't a lot, you <laughs> know? True. Yeah. <laughs> you open one up, you're like, yeah, what's going on here? Right. Somebody forgot to put the Yeah, there was not a lot. There was not a lot. So I guess I, I came across what I could. And so I kept reading. And the more I read and the more I learned, I'm like, huh, this is, there, there's something here. Wow. And it got to the point where, you know, through my first year of uni and that I kept reading and kept investigating. And it got to a point where it's funny I didn't, again, I didn't realize until much later. I don't even know if I read any of the Quran before I became Muslim. Wow. It was all the seerah. It wow. was, I, it got to the point where I, I was absolutely convinced that the Prophet Sassalam was a prophet, wow. that I could not so argue true. with his prophethood. Wow. And so if I absolutely believe that this man is who he says he is, wow. like all the doubts that I had, then I'm like, well, then this religion must be true. Wow. And so I was, yeah, I was at uni and I was like, I, I still remember I was in a tutorial for psychology because I remember I'd said to myself, if it gets to a point where all of these questions are answered, like, you know, this, the standard accusations that are level against the Prophet Sassalam that, you know, he was crazy yeah. or that he was a liar, you know, all of that. You know, maybe he was well-intentioned, but he just didn't know. He was confused. <laughs> I remember thinking beforehand, if I can have all of those disproven, like if I can have yeah. all of these addressed in a way that convinces me, then I don't have any reason not to be Muslim. And I realised the day before I'd read a book where it had just systematically just bang, bang, bang. And suddenly I was in the next day, I was in my psych shooting and I'm this realisation that like, Oh, whoa. So now I told myself that if this was the case, then that I should become Muslim. And that's where I am now. And I could see the tutor talking. It's like those scenes in a movie where you see people talking around you, but there's no noise. And it was just like this profound moment of what this must mean I'm Muslim now because I genuinely believe this. And so it's funny, like in many ways, like I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to be Muslim. Like it's hard to be Muslim as a, in, as an Australian today. Like yeah, I knew my family weren't going to be happy. They weren't. <laughs> <laughs> I knew most of my friends probably at best wouldn't understand. Wow. Um, and again, this is pre nine eleven. Never shared that journey with anybody in the family. I think they knew something was up. That because mm. I'd stopped going to church and I was trying to work out well what do I actually mm. think now. And so I think they knew something was, you know, I was interested in this. Were you um, with mum, living with mum? Yeah, still living at home with my mum okay. and my stepdad and my brother. And, yeah, but it, it, it got to the point. It's funny. I decided to become Muslim 
And I, and I took my shahada and I thought, I'm too scared to tell my parents. I'm just, I'm not going to tell mum yet. I'm too nervous. And so I went home and I thought, I'll just tell her in a few weeks or when I'm more confident or whatever. I said, oh, so what are we having for dinner tonight? She said, we're having pork chops. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, no. well, I guess I have to tell you. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I'm going to tell you, mum. <laughs> wow. I got the pork, pork chops did it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> ก็เลยเป็นแบบเด็กๆเลยเป็นแบบเด็กๆเลยเป็นแบบเด็กๆเลยเป็นแบบเด็กๆเลยเป็นแบบเด็กๆเลยเป็นแบบเด็กๆเ
I don't even know if we had Google. I don't know what I looked up, but I've Yahoo searched those for, days. Yahoo was yeah, it was probably yeah. Bing. I don't know what we were using. And I looked up to see if there was Muslims at my uni and I found a group of Muslim women. There was a group of Muslim women. So I just emailed them and said, I'm interested in Islam. Can we meet up? And Alhamdulillah, they were a lovely bunch of women. We met, they started talking to me and they really sort of took me under their wing and helped me. I started going to some classes with them. Wow. Um, I was pretty close at that point, I think, already, but still not not ready to take the final step. And so having them helped a lot. Shalom. Yeah, yeah. Alhamdulillah. Which, which Monash. Monash. Yeah, nice. Monash Uni. So yeah. homegrown Monash, still, still in Monash. So <laughs> I, I know. It's <laughs> we, we always go back to our roots. I eh? know. <laughs> I'm still there. I'm still there. Um, yeah, so that was uh, in terms of like the struggle of it. Alhamdulillah, you know, obviously I had these these women who were my friends, but, you know, when you feel like you're really disappointing your family, that's a, you know, that's not a small thing. Like, you know, I think it was... It was very, very hard with my family and a lot of my friends didn't understand it. And again, I can, I, from their perspective, I can see it. And so it felt extremely lonely. But in that loneliness, it really sort of solidified that from the, the beginning of my being Muslim, it was just me and Allah. And so no matter what I knew that this is, this will always be here, no matter what happens from now on, even now, like that's always what it will always come back to. And it will for all of us. That will be what it comes back to ultimately. Exactly. And that's the beauty about Islam. Islam is such a religion that is about your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nobody's alpha zibba. You're only going to be held accountable with him. That's exactly. Nobody else. And subhanAllah. And I think. Even for myself, like, you know, it's, yeah. it's that relationship I have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. You know, we don't have to have a relationship with a priest or anybody else that connects us to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. We are there. It's us. One on one. Was your brother also, the, what I want to understand is that you had these things going through your head that you're going to lose your family, mm. you're going to lose all your friends. Did that take place? Did you lose everybody? Uh, a lot, a lot of friends. I think were just like this is weird, and yeah. So I did lose, I did lose a lot. I did lose a lot of friends, and also it didn't help in that I decided I wanted to wear hijab pretty much straight away. So I think by the time I became Muslim, like I'd, I'd worked through all that. Wow. Like I'd worked through all that. So it was, it was, I was in your face. Like, you know, <laughs> like my friends couldn't, like this wasn't something that, that, that they could avoid or we could pretend wasn't happening. No. So a couple of friends, alhamdulillah, a couple of friends were really cool and supportive of my non-Muslim friends, but a lot were just like, this is weird. And also like in Australia, religion is not something that's yeah. really respected. Religion yeah. is something that is sneered at yeah. and taking a religion seriously and also living a religion publicly. Yeah. You know, we're very much in Australia, well, first of all, we don't like religion and we think you're an idiot if you have a religion. But if you have to have it, keep it to yourself. Yeah. And a hijab, by its very definition, is a public affirmation yeah. of faith. Yeah. And so it, it was in their face. Wow. And coupled with all of that, then all the way it's viewed through a gendered lens and it's oppressive and blah, 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 like it brought a lot with it. And so from the beginning it was like, Bang. this is it. <laughs> right. You had a fight on your hands really, didn't you? Yeah. And I think particularly again for my mum, you know, I think it was hard for her. She was a, a 70s feminist, you know, that kind of feminist. And so, you know, to see her daughter be like, well, this is how I want to dress. Oh, I wow. think for her it was just like, but this is, this is not what I would want for my daughter, wow, you know. Wow. Um, so again, I think it, because it was, you know, in her face and I think maybe if I hadn't worn the hijab straight away, like if I'd waited a few years or whatever, maybe things would have been different. Mm. But it is, it. I think too, 
a lot of non-Muslims, the hijab is very confronting. Yeah. Mm. Um, and and so I guess maybe it wasn't my intention, but maybe me dressing like this was seen, therefore, as a confrontation. Yeah. It was never intended that way. It's not. The hijab yeah. is about me and Allah. Yeah. It's not about me and anybody else. But other people, I think, can't help but take it yeah. as a comment on them. Yes, yeah. Is that what drew drew you to wanting to make change and, you know, publicly get out there and, and say, because of the hardships, and say, well, I've got to do my part. I've got to. I don't know. I think maybe for me, like, wanting to do stuff was, for me, once I believe this is true, it's like, this is what you have to do. I'm Muslim now. You pray five times a day. You fast Ramadan. You wear a hijab. Like, this is what you have to do. Wow. And in terms of, like, speaking publicly or whatever, I think that really just came, when you're a convert, and you're obviously a convert like me, like I said, you're, you're wearing hijab, people are going to have a lot of questions. You yeah. know, you can't, so people will come up and say, well, why do you wear that? Or you're also expected from the second you become Muslim <laughs> to be an expert on 1,500 years of political uh. history. Well, so tell us about the Sunni-Shiite split. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, what's happening for the women in Afghanistan? Or, you know, oh, like wow. suddenly you're expected to wow. be, tell us about Saddam Hussein. And all of these, you know, yes. oh, the Ottoman Empire, talk to us about the fall of that. I'm like, well, I just, I'm 19, I just became Muslim. <laughs> but you are expected. So you have to get up to speed pretty quickly on a lot of these things and have good answers about, well, why? Why can a man have four wives or, you know, all of these so things. Ask <laughs> 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 your wife, mate. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I love my bad. <laughs> um, yeah, but so like it or not as a convert and once it's obvious you're a convert, like I think if you're a man or you're a woman who doesn't wear hijab straight away, you can kind of go under the radar a bit. Mm. But if you're obviously a Muslim yes. and you're a convert, people are going to ask. Amazing. And so you, whether you want to be or not, you will be a spokesperson. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You just have to be. Subhanallah, yeah. that's amazing. That is. because We don't say it that way, especially when you're a convert. It's a, it's a different world really for us. We were born Muslim. Mm. Like, subhanallah, we were not as, we're not confronted as much comparatively. Yeah. You know what I mean? But subhanallah, that does push you to elevate, doesn't it, really? Yeah. Well, Can you well, take us through your... Year 12 days and career path. Mm. You know, obviously, you know, we've all been down that path where, you know, you're 11, 12, you don't know what you want to do really. Can you take us through that? Yeah. And what drew you to uh, your career path? So when I was at, uh, in high school, I knew I, I couldn't pick. I love the the arts and the humanities, like literature and English and languages, but I also love the sciences. I just couldn't choose. I couldn't choose. So when I was in year 12, I did three of the humanities and three sciences. So I did chemistry, wow. methods and biology, and I also did English, English literature and German. And I, it was a, a full split. And then when I finished high school, I still couldn't pick. I still like, oh, but I love them both. So I did an arts degree and a science degree. I did them wow. together because wow. I'm still like, oh, maybe I'll just do it for a year and then I'll know what I want to do. And um, after a year, maybe then I can funnel into something more specific, but I just kept going and I loved both and I loved both. And so I did, you know, I, I did both my degrees. And when I finished both my degrees, I had the, I had an invitation to do honors in both. I could have done honors in one of my science majors or honors in, uh, sociology, my, my arts major. Shalom. And I'm like, what do I choose? Like, I love them both. But in the end, I think I have a very curious mind and maybe that's sort of part of what sort of, um, led me to Islam as well, is that I have a curious mind and I like being proven wrong. Like it's actually, I find it quite exhilarating when something you think you know, someone goes, well, actually, did you know blah, blah, blah? And you're like, I didn't know that. Like wow. that changes everything. So maybe that's part of me becoming Muslim as well, is that like I, I, I don't 
generally, like I find when you finding out something is totally different to what I thought, I find that really exciting. Um, so anyway, I finished my science degree and my arts degree and I thought, well, I was Muslim by this point and, and I was really enjoying the sociology of religion was an area that I was, was into. Um, and I was interested in the Muslim community and I was interested in the way we did Islam. Like, what does it look like in practice? And so I thought, well, okay, I'll do honours in sociology. And I did that and I loved it. And then I got offered a PhD scholarship. And so I thought, well, this is what I'll do. And I, I kept just sort of thinking, I'll just do this and then I'll know what I do, I'll want to do. And now I've done a PhD and I'm a full-time academic and I guess that is what I am now. <laughs> but I think I love it because I get to keep asking a lot of questions. I get to keep wow. investigating, going, well, That's why is it like that? And particularly in our community and the way faith impacts our community and the way we do things. Wow. Um, I'm really interested in that. I find sure. that really interesting. And so it's just sort of, it's cascaded from there. Evolved. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Love wow, mashallah. So, so education, 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 and now you yeah. are educating. Well, it's funny. I don't, it's, I don't think about that. It's it's funny how even when you introduce me, you're like, tell us, we're he, we'd love to hear about your story of success. I don't think of myself in that way. Like I don't think about it in terms of success or what, I think I'm very conscious of my failures. I have many, many, <laughs> many of them. I'm happy to talk about them. But it's funny, I wouldn't, I would never see myself in that way. And I'm not sure what it is, maybe because it's about how we define success yes. or what it is, but yeah. I, I Hello, think, everybody's different. Yeah. So we've had so many different brothers and sisters that mm. have come on podcasts and they all define success differently. Mm. So w- this is the question we ask is that how do you personally define success? <sighs> I think success would be, and this isn't something I've pre-planned. This isn't like an answer I came, I'm going to tell the Safety Brothers this. So <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm workshopping it as I, as I tell you. So you might push me on it and I'll go, actually, I don't think that, but I think, a successful life is one that as we are closing our eyes as we die, inshallah saying our shahada, that we feel peace about it, that yeah. we are looking back. And, you know, I think if we get to that moment, none of us, well, I assume most of us will not be like, if only I'd earned an extra 10K or bought that business yeah. or <laughs> got that extra award. We won't be nah. thinking about that. Whoa. The thing that all the things that make up a good and successful life are the good that we've put out into the world, Amen. what we've sent ahead for Akhirah and how we've impacted the people around us. Amen. That is the successful life. And so I sincerely believe you can be extremely successful and have a very, you know, unremarkable career just a, a whatever, like nine to five or whatever, mm. or you can have an extremely impressive by dunya sense career. Yeah. It's neither here nor there. And I remember having this conversation with my kids when my husband started working full-time on the project because it's a big, suddenly suddenly, it, dad goes from being just a regular dude, like he was doing other media stuff, but now he's on so billboards. <laughs> Let's never one. speak about that again. <laughs> <laughs> but like now dad's suddenly on billboards and he's at the bus stops and stuff like that and he's on TV every night. And, you know, I remember saying to my kids, it's really important, you know, that your job, dad's job, my job, anyone's job is not a marker of success because one day yeah. dad's job will end. Sure. He will either quit or he'll be fired or he'll decide he wants to do something else and he will still be the same person he is sure. and he'll be the same person that he is now. And if you pin your identity to what you do, you will always feel insecure and uncertain. And you Amen. see it in people who when they retire or they lose their jobs, they're totally lost, lost and crushed. Yeah. Like, who am I? That is not who you are. You have to pin your identity to the one thing that doesn't change and that's your relationship to Allah. 
That's what it is. All the other stuff. Because it it will, otherwise you can get a really, suddenly you can start seeing like their dad doing this job and think, wow, this means something. It doesn't. It's a job. He's no more important than if he were a dentist or a plumber or, you know, the street cleaner. He just happens to be on TV. But our society seems to think that if you're on TV or in the movies or whatever, it means something. He just happens to do his job in front of a lot of people. That's an amazing There's job no, too. but it's but it in and of itself, there yes. is no inherent yeah. value in that in oh. any job. There's not. It's what you bring to it, and also that that is not who you are. Amen. It's what you do. It's not who you are. Exactly. Amen. Can I ask, you know, Walid going into the media, did you both know the Calipol? Situation mm. that it could do to the family, and because obviously yeah. I know, I know you. Like we said, he was in media before. I know he yep. was doing radio. So that decision as a family, did you yeah. sit down together and say, "Okay, do we really want to do this? Yeah. Do we really want to be out?" Because one of the reasons why we never did the Safi Bros podcast has been two years in the planning for my big brother. Ah, <laughs> okay. Is because we don't, we don't want to be in the limelight. We don't mm. want we don't want like you mentioned before. We were having quick conversations. Hassad, we don't want yeah. that. So, but then we. we as, as Muslims, we understand that circumstances, depending on the career, there's far the line. Mm. There's no one doing a good job. Yeah. You need yeah. to start doing it. Yeah. D- that family conversation around yeah. the table, did, yeah. did you just have that conversation, the hardships that were going to come, the struggles? or Yeah. You know? No, we th- we did. We talked about it a lot. And it's I guess because there were all these different things that led up to it, these sort of micro things. Like it started because... Walid was the media spokesperson for the Islamic Council of Victoria. That's right, yeah, that, oh, that's how it all began. We called the A-team, the ICV A-team. He was doing an amazing job. Yeah, 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 exactly. Assad, it was, it was back in the day. And so, um, you know, it started then and that's when, you know, we started doing stuff. And that was right after September 11. And so often I would get asked to do things as well because the media, they were like, oh, we don't know a single Muslim. Like they had none in there. They'd never even thought about Muslims up until that. There was none in their, you know, their Rolodex. But they'd interview Wall and they'd be like, oh, we've got a wife. Let's, why don't we talk to both of you? Oh, she's a convert. That's an interesting media story. So we'd start doing that kind of, you know, little media things here and there. So we'd done a lot of media up until that point. Um, And obviously, you know, Waleed, his full-time job before then had been on ABC radio. And so we'd had a lot of sort of conversations and awareness along the way about what does this mean and the the, the good of it but also the real challenges of it and wow. how you have to, I think, um, well, you have to be really aware of and protect yourself if you're going out into the world like that. One, you have to be really clear about your Nia, your intention, yeah. I think, that if you're like, well, I want to be famous, like, I mean, that can be your Nia, but that, I don't agree with that. I yeah. think that's absolutely wrong. Um, you've got to think about what is your Nia and always getting back to it. And always, I think particularly with the media now, is that no matter what you do, unless you start your own network you were going to feel compromised in some way. And, yeah. I mean, that's a lot of jobs as well. There are times I feel compromised at work oh, as well. So that's nature. So you've got to be like, am I willing and do I think the compromises I will have to make outweigh the pos- the potential benefit? You know, I remember wow. speaking to scholars about Wally's situation in particular saying, what do you think? Like, you know, oh, this wow. is the downside that's and this so is the upside. Wow. What do you think? And what's interesting is they always said, 
our opinion is that if you get this opportunity, you have to take it. Yeah, like you, we need wow. people out there. We need because what what's the alternative? There was no Muslims out there yeah, talking. There, no there was the taxi driver. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. specifically went to that taxi yeah, driver. Yeah. What do you think of <laughs> exactly? The poor guy just arrived. Yeah, yeah. I know. So, and I also know for myself, like. Again, bring it back to the hijab, which I, I know it sounds superficial, whatever, but I know for myself when I see like um, Basha Hooli's wife, for example, wore the hijab to the Brownlows one year. Yes. And I remember how much that meant to me. I loved seeing that. Like this means something, seeing people who are uh, openly Muslim. Yeah. In public life, that does something to us. Amazing. I think it. I think it does. I remember reading this fascinating study that was done in Morocco, where they found they did this really interesting study where they um, did a test with these uh, stallholders in a Moroccan market, and they found that when the they could hear the van, they would give more in charity. Love. And they didn't know that. They didn't know this is what was being tested. They thought they were being checked on something else. But when the van went off, these men would give more and more love, and more in love, charity. Love. And I think that what that points to is public religion matters. We need to see these symbols of religiosity yeah. in our world that, like I said, in Australia, everything's about keep it to yourself and keep it private yeah. or whatever. But there is benefit to Amen. seeing public displays of religiosity. Sure. And so I think we want people that we can look up to who are Muslim, who are uh, achieving or public or in different fields because it shows us it can be done. Otherwise, we think, well, I guess, you know, either I can be the imam or I can do whatever, but that's it. That, those yeah. are my options. Otherwise, it's it's just not possible. And you need to see people who are going, no, I fast Ramadan and I do my TV show every night, like sure. Waleed, for example. Yeah. It can be done and you don't have to... Um, you don't have to be ashamed of who you are. I think maybe it's changing in our community, but I know for a while there was sort of a, an underlying sense of we felt lesser than, you know, we yes. felt we had to feel embarrassed about who we are. And now we can go, no, this is, it's not arrogance. It's just who we are. Yeah. We can be, we feel we've got something to offer. Mm. Yeah. Well, how did that work? Yeah. yeah how <laughs> like how many times have we crossed paths? And I've said to Ahmed, it's amazing that we've had the opportunity to actually have a conversation because we never have that conversation. Yeah. Through benevolence, my kids. Exactly. You, I know. I think up to all your kids, <laughs> Marshall, <laughs> you know, all Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, so I've never spoken to you. Yeah. Like, wait, it's not like, oh, excuse me, can I have a chat with you? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Susan, we need to chat. You know what I mean? Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Yeah. You just, subhanallah. Yeah, how can Allah, yeah. Allah connects so we're, we're really yeah. getting to know you here right yeah. now. Yeah. Subhanallah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, I'll have to, we'll have to return it one day. We'll follow into you guys. So since we gave Walid Ali the plug before, so now that we know you like the hard road. <laughs> so <laughs> how did you meet Waleed and how did that take place? I really like to know because I don't know. Sorry. That's so funny, the hard road. Yeah, no, I, to be fair, I think I can say poor Waleed. I think I am his test in this world and he's my reward because Allah. he's a good man, mashallah. He's a very good well, husband. He is. Yeah. He's extremely good. Very nice. Very, very nice man, mashallah. Sure. Um, so we met. It's funny. Um I knew Waleed before I became Muslim, but it wasn't until uh, once I became Muslim, there was this woman in the community, this older Egyptian woman who's like, I think you guys would be really good together. And, and you know, she's like, how about if I arrange a meeting or whatever? And I was like, I just wasn't feeling it. And this was right. You know, I'd only been Muslim. I don't even know if I'd been Muslim for a year. Things were still really difficult for my with my family. And I was just like, I just, I can't think about this. And I'm like, Look, I, I'm really not interested. And Wally, to his credit, he was persistent. And I think he rang me one day to be like, look, what's going on? Are you interested or not? And I know. <laughs> horrible. He's like, this is how you know he's a good man. I'm a terrible person. He's, 
he's like, you know, what are you, what, you know, are you interested, whatever, whatever. And I said, listen, I wouldn't marry you if you were the last man on earth. Allah. Wow. I was terrible. I told you I was a terrible person. Uh, and he's like, okay, got that message. And so he disappeared. And so and, and in, I think it was a, I wasn't ready to get married and things were hard with the family. And I was just like, I don't need one more person pushing on me. Just back off. I'm not interested. Wow. And so that was that. I went my way. He went his. Was he at the same uni? No, he was at oh, a different, yeah, yeah, he was at Melbourne Uni. Okay, there you go. And, um, and so, you know, a bit of time passed and people suggested, well, what about this brother? What about that brother? Whatever. And. I noticed that in my mind I kept m- mentally comparing them to Waleed. I was like, why do I do that? I don't even like that guy. More signs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everything you compare. <laughs> I know. And so I think, and then I was like, oh, maybe I do. Maybe actually when I think about what a good Muslim husband looks like, maybe he is, this is what I'm looking for. Oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> I was so awful to him and I told him to get lost basically. And so I went back to this woman who'd been sort of arranging things. I said, look, I think maybe I kind of do like Waleed. She's like, well, I don't like your chances now. Look what you've done. She goes, all right, I'll speak to him. But I, I think the chances are very slim after what you said, which is true. Wow. Um, but because, again, Waleed is a better person than me, um, when she went back to him, he's like, no, I'm still interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it kind of went from there. Yeah. Yeah. No, no so, one can stop Nassim. Yeah, I think we had uh, Kepi Kitab when I was 21 and then we had the Walima when I was 22 and then we had our first baby when I was 23. Thank, thank, thank. How yeah. long have you been married now? 21 and a half years. Mashallah. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. No one can stop Nasib. Even when you told him, no, never. The last man you ended up marrying. Do you know one thing I've realised? I used to, subhanAllah, I used to work for an Italian boss of mine. Biggest mentor, taught me how to sell people's person. And he'd always, as a joke, would say, Ibo, I don't care what happens as long as my daughters never marry Muslims. Mm. I'm like, it's hurt to your face. Yeah, yeah. Because, because <laughs> we were so, so, because, because you have to understand something. He came from the Roxburgh Park area. So, right. so the community wasn't a, the best uh, limelight. And I said, Pat, be careful with the oath you make. Yeah. I used to always say that to him as a young person. Yeah. Be careful with the oath you make. Yeah. Don't go making an oath against Allah. Yeah. And he's like, no, because it's the worst thing that could happen. It will never happen. And I'm like, Pat. Please don't do it. And lo and behold, both his daughters became Muslims. Yeah. Both of them? And both married Muslims. And both married Muslims. <laughs> How's Pat now? Pat's, Pat's no longer with us. But, uh, but was he okay? No, 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 no he, he was passed fine. Away. No, no. no, but what I mean was when his daughters became Muslim, was he? wasn't he, okay. He wasn't uh, okay. He used to come to my house. We used to count. But subhanAllah, and I, I'd say those same things. Like Muslims, I, I, I know Muslims that have made oaths to their kids, please, whatever you do, yeah. don't bring this particular yeah. race home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the first thing that yeah. happened, and that's yeah. what I say, when you made that oath, a very similar oath, yeah. saying, oh, you'll be the last man on the face of this earth. And I asked my yeah. father, come here. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'll fix you up. Yeah. You, you think, you think yeah. you're in charge? Yeah. Uh, it always that, happens that, a lot. Very it happens a lot. It yeah. happens a lot, I swear yeah. to you. And I'd say to you, be careful to make the oath you make because yes. you're not in power. That and is I so true. That. I just thought I'd share that. Because so I, I see it time and time again, people making these mm. oaths, and I'm like, Allah. please don't do that. That's not up to you. And then Allah's part that sends that particular yeah. person. Yeah, it's hard. We say, oh, well, if it's good for me, make it happen. Yeah. Yes. If it's not good, take it away. Yeah. Yes. Huh, that was a dua we made for this for this podcast. You know, well, if it's good yeah. for us, Amen. make it happen. Like even though yeah. we was very resistant to doing it. You know. Like, mm. So talk talk to us through plugging into the community. You've become yep. a Muslim now. Yep. What, where did you go? What made you attract to different communities or yeah. plugging in? 
Were you part of Coburg at all? No? I think so. I, when I first became Muslim, so I had those women at my uni who became my friends and they were lovely. And that was, that was uh, we were quite connected. Do you remember Isna and yes, Iska back yes, in the day? Yes, so Isna and Iska. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and this was, again, so early. You mentioned the white pages before. I remember when I first became Muslim and so I was like, um, well, how do I find an organisation? So I went to the white pages and looked up Islam. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I rang, so Iska was there. So well, I rang there. Ma- Ma- Madina Meads? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I looked up and it was because Iska was like Islamic. I can't remember what Iska stood for, but anyway, the first, the I was Islam. Yeah. So Iska were in the white pages and I rang them and I'm like, hello, like I've just become Muslim. Do you have any classes? Wow. And so I kind of plugged in that way. And the the women that I was at uni with, we went to a lot of their things. So a lot of the lectures that came out that way. But I also got connected to YMA. Um, mm. uh, so I went to some of the YMA things. I got to know some of the women through that, which is how I got to know Sarah. Oh, so yeah. Cool. Um, and so I, I sort of was... You know, I, I knew that I loved Islam and I wanted it. We have this thing that you, we see in converts we call convertitis, where you become Muslim and you're like, right, that's it. I'm at 100. <laughs> so, you know, where you, where you just so, it comes from a good place. You're passionate about the deen and, and all that, but you can go a bit too quick, too yeah, fast. Yeah, so I was just like, I want to do everything and I'm going to pray a million prayers a day and I'm going to learn everything and I'll become a scholar and like all this stuff, you know, because I was just so like wanting to go right into it. So I went to a lot of classes and different things. And um, I met, alhamdulillah, I met some really great people in the community that way. And I learned from a lot of different people and learned very quickly that when I first became Muslim, I had this idea, well, that there is one correct Islam Mm. and there is this one correct and everything else is wrong. And so, you know, suddenly I'd start to meet different Muslims who'd say different things and and I'd be like, well, which of you is right? And then I'd realise, wait, there's this thing called difference of opinion. Mm. How can this be? But how can it be true? And so that was like a a real spiritual grappling. I remember there was this point after I'd been Muslim for maybe a year or two where what I thought everything was black and white, mm. that it wasn't actually that way. And I remember feeling something of a spiritual freefall, like how if if there isn't just one right answer and everything else is wrong and there actually is legitimate scholarly difference of opinion on these things, how do I do the right thing by Allah? And so that was something that I really had to uh, try to get my head around. Yeah, I think we all have. Yeah, and I think it's, it's an ongoing journey, journey yeah, isn't it, as well? It's like, you know, the, the Muslim we were 10 years ago, inshallah, that's not who we are now. We're always yeah, improving and learning inshallah, more. And inshallah, yeah, who we are in 10 years will be yeah, better people better and, and know more, inshallah. I mean, I mean. Um, so, yeah, it was in those early days I went to a few different things. But, again, remember right just before September 11, there wasn't a lot. Yeah. And then September 11 happened, obviously, and then the community went into quite a, understandably, quite a reactive mode where we were kind of always on the defensive and trying yes. to, okay, what do we do and how do we deal with this within ourselves, but also how do we deal with the way people are responding to us? And mm. so, you know, participating in like, you know, Sarah's my dress and my image, my choice, and being invited to speak at schools and media interviews and things like that. We were, it, it was a time where I felt like, for the Muslim community, we couldn't really get our breath because we were so busy trying to, we're not who you think we are. We're not terrorists like Islam mm. is peace <laughs> and love and all of that. And we never really got to think about, hang on, instead of me telling you who I'm not, yeah. who am I? Yes. Instead of defining myself in the negative, what am I? And what do I want to tell you about what yeah, my exactly. religion teaches? Wow. Instead of always coming back to, well, jihad doesn't mean this. Yes, hang yeah. on, what do I want to tell you about what I believe and what's important and Banging on always Constantly about the hijab reactive. or whatever, yeah. yeah. Reaction, reaction, reaction. What what do what do we have to offer? 
Um, yeah, so we're kind of at that point where I think we're on a bit of a treadmill and I think I'm seeing the community. We're coming out of that now, but it was for a long time because yes, it yes. was September 11 and then there were a lot of things that yes. bang, bang, bang after that, just terrible yeah. event after terrible event. And it really wasn't until I think about 2019 that things started to change yeah. in a very obvious way. Subhanallah. Yeah. Alhamdulillah, subhanAllah. That growth is so <laughs> important for us. See, it, it is, it is. And subhanAllah, how you, you touch base on your your sort of journey of change as mm. well. And every one of us has that, you know. It's amazing yeah. how our perspective and, you know, subhanAllah, as I say, like we have those blinkers on. And how many brothers and sisters we have out there that have, this is the only way, mm. you know what I mean? And how do you open up those horizons to see yeah. like, it's 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 quite a diverse yep. Islam, you know. Yes. It leads us to it's Allah. a straight path, but it's a wide but straight path. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've always said, I've always said Islam is all these organizations are doing part of the body. Yeah. There's no complete body. That's exactly until right. they all come together, you know. Right. And different people will have some people just have a naturally Salafi heart. Yeah. And some people have a natural Sufi heart. That is just who they are. This yeah. is how Allah's made them. And instead of going, this is wrong, that's wrong, let them be. Yeah. Let yeah. them be. It's like you said, it's serving a different part of the community. Yeah, and they, so. it all matters. It's yeah. all needed. You missed one path. There's the Salafi, <laughs> the Sufi and the Safi. <laughs> he always says that. He always says that. It's terrible. People are going to start thinking we've got a sick. <laughs> You're the cult leader. I'm going to be studying you as part of my university work. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe you said that. have to cut that out. Leave that in. Don't cut that out. There's a lot of other S's in between as well. Let's not talk about it. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So, mashallah, like, you know, um, there's a lot of challenges that you face, mashallah. Like, writing your book, I think mm. that would have been a very big highlight of, you know, what made you hmm. get into that. And yeah, it's interesting you say that as a highlight. It wasn't. I hated it. I don't, as an academic, I don't enjoy writing. Wow. Yeah, which is a problem. It's a big part of my job. Um, so the, my book was actually my PhD thesis. And I remember when I was doing the research for that thesis and interviewing us interviewed a lot of women in Australia and overseas for it. I thought, I don't want this just to sit on, like, so what happens is when you submit a PhD thesis, it gets assessed, gets marked, and then a hard copy is put on the library shelf. And I thought, you know, there, I don't think I've, nothing in here that is good and interesting is from me. None of this is me. It's the words of the women that I've spoken to, and it's our history, the Islamic history of this, the Muslim history, all the way back to the time of the Prophet Sallam. This is what's interesting and important. I've just tied it all together, but none of it's mine. Um, and I feel, I will feel sad if this important work, like I said, it's not mine, the, the words of these women and, and our history, if it just sits on a shelf gathering dust and no one reads about it. Because the whole reason I did this topic, the, re, the, the topic I did in my PhD was Muslim women fighting sexism within the Muslim community from a pro-faith perspective. And the reason I did it was because I was always being asked by non-Muslims, um, but isn't Islam so oppressive and whatever? Yeah. So there was always that. But mm. also there was, an, there was also an ignorance in our community that whenever, like, if a woman was like, you know, I think we should do something about domestic violence in our community, there'd always be like a segment of our community that's like, oh, you Western feminist, you've been westernised, you know, why are you airing our dirty laundry, you know, why are you trying to change things? And these women be saying, no, no, this is what our religion teaches. You know, the, the, it's a woman's right for to be able to access this or do that or whatever. Yeah, so there was this tension. Yeah, that's a taboo yeah. topics. It is. Don't and, talk about it. Right. Or also this belief that there we didn't have this history, whereas throughout history we've always had 
amazing Muslim women, even at the time of the Prophet, who would use their religion. This wasn't a rejection of their faith, who would use their religion to say, my husband's not giving me my right. Or, mm. So, for example, you know, a classic example is, um, you know, there was the woman who came to the Prophet and said, my parents forced me to get married against my will. And the Prophet said, if that's happened, your marriage is annulled because you have to give your consent. And the woman said, actually, I'm happy to stay married to him. He's a good man. But I wanted to come and say this so our community would know that parents can't do this to their daughters. Wow. So, like, this is a perfect example of a woman coming up and saying, I know my rights in the deen. Allah is telling me this is my right. I'm going to use the religion to make sure I get what women are owed. So we've got this throughout history, right? And so it became this difficult thing for like women in our community. I remember I spoke to one woman, a leader who said, I wanted to organize a, um, like a panel on women being able to join the workforce. You know, we've got single mothers who need to work or whatever, just the permissibility of whatever. And she said, it's a tension because I've got people on the panel. I've got a diverse group of Muslims and I want to invite the media because I want to get this story out there. But I know if someone says something that the media will even be like, oh, so women aren't allowed to work. Like mm. the fact that you're even talking about, it, she's like, so what do I do? Oh, wow. Do I make it public? And we have this conversation we need to have about the need. Why are women in our community and that, that they can work or whatever? Or do we not talk about it because if we do, we actually can reinforce Islamophobic attitudes? Mm. Like it's this tension. Double, double edged yeah, sword. Yeah, it's called a double bind, is 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 the, the term is exactly right. It's a double edged sword. And so my thesis was just about these women who are passionate Muslims, who like, I love Allah. Like I love my deen. I want to do what my deen teaches. And us being treated this way, this is wrong according to Islam. But then I'll have people in the community that criticize me and say, oh, you're this crazy feminist and you're you're trying to change the religion and all this. So was, that's what the, the, the thesis was. And so I knew if I turned it into a book and I, you have to do publicity when a book comes out, as you will find out, um, <laughs> it brings a lot of attention, a lot of it, which is negative. Yeah. I knew that would happen, but I'm like, but this is important. This is an important part of our history. I want non-Muslims to know, but I also want young Muslims to know this is our tradition. Like, you know, that you can stand up for what is right and what the rights that Allah has given women. And that's part of the deen. Mm. Don't ever let anyone put a human interpretation of the faith over what Allah has said. Amen. Um, Amen. So, but I've turned it into a book, even though I knew it was going to be awful. The reaction would be awful that I have issues within the community and issues without the, outside the community. But I'm like, well, I think this is a story that needs to be told. And what's nice for me now is particularly when young Muslims come and say, I read that book and that changed things because I'd always been made to feel, well, this doesn't feel oh, right. Or yeah. like the treatment for like... Um, you know, what happens when, you know, a woman goes to the mosque and she can't see and she can't hear and the door's always locked and they can't even get into the mosque. And I've been told, well, if you say anything about it, that's against Islam. And, you know, when I read this and I realised actually, you know, women should have access to the mosque and, yeah, you know, they should be able to hear and they should be able to see. Like this, I shouldn't feel ashamed as a Muslim for asking this. Yeah, Allah's 100%. given me this. At the time of the Prophet Sallallahu this wasn't how it was at the mosque. You know, so... so um, I think it, more yeah. cultural becomes more cultural than yeah, the cultural aspects coming. Yeah, that's, that's I know people. that's the thing. And again, like I want to think well of people, and I want to assume no one in our community who does that is is trying to do the wrong thing. Mm. No one's. But I think sometimes maybe they don't realize the consequences yes. of that. Like what it what it feels like when. As a woman, you are allowed to go yeah. to the mosque. Oh, there's a lot of people that yeah. are living in their own bubbles, isn't it? And a yeah. lot of communities that live in their own bubbles, they cannot see the effect, mm. the outer effect. You know, so there's right. this bubble and this bubble and this bubble. I They're think, not joining. I think also one of the biggest problems is the majority of people that have capacity and ability have got their own career paths. Yeah. And, 
and majority of the community centres that are being run, inshallah, that's why one thing that really inspired us when ICV had the likes of Walid Ali, Ahmed mm. Imam, and you, because you guys were the A team, everyone was mm. speaking about the changes you were making, mm. real influence was happening. We're capable people with cap- yeah. we're, we're out there yeah. making changes, but unfortunately, in the majority of these mosques and things, the most capable people are out there working, earning, yeah. where, where you're left with you know individuals we're getting, that the, really dregs. The, yeah. we're getting the dregs. Right. The, honestly, like I don't know if you noticed, but even growing up myself, <clears throat> I noticed a lot of the leaderships that we saw within so many different organizations, yeah. they weren't like honestly like the best suited people for mm. that position, well, yeah. but they're the only mm. people that are available to yep. the community, yep. and the community said, well. Yeah. Alhamdulillah, we got a brother, we're yep. a sister. We know we had such a, yeah. an amazing caliber of brother and sister out there who weren't. And mashallah, yeah. yourselves were an amazing mm. caliber and you brought a sort of an enlightenment yeah. sort of time, I think. Yes, for, Allah, myself, Allah. I'm saying from my perspective, I saw that mashallah Walid and yourself and Ahmad Imam and you know, that group of you know brothers Ramsey, and sisters. Yeah, Ramsey, yeah, yeah. 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 They, they bought it they bought a they completely did. different because they were capable people, you know mm. what I mean? Yes. There were capable yes. people that, that had yeah. our back. And we, I always use this analogy. It's like in your business, you know, you, it's, you know, turning over a certain amount of money. Would you give it to anybody? Mm. Hell no. You'd give it to somebody with capacity, ability. Yeah. Uh, the skills, make, Making yes. sure he can grow that business. Yeah. yeah. You know, and but what about our dean? Yeah. So our much dean's more important. important. Yes. So, subhanAllah, I just yes. thought I'd touch base on that. Yeah. Yeah. Quick question. And yes. as you said, like you, there was a lot of confrontation, mm. a lot of headaches with that. Yeah. Mm. So can you sort of share some stories about yeah. that? I'd love, I'd love to hear some of those stories. Like any bull, was... bulletproof rest? Like <laughs> 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 um, spiritually, it is something to be aware of if you if you stick your head up, particularly um, not just in our community, but also just in the wider community, in the media. You need to be very prepared for what's going to come your way, and I think um, it can be it can be really difficult if you're not very clear on who you are and who you're talking to. So in the end, you always need to think um, with every interview you do, or you know, every speech I'd give about my book or whatever. I would always think I've got an audience of one. I'm talking to Allah, Love and if Allah. I can finish this interview with you, or the the speech that I give about my book or whatever and think, you know, I can stand in front of Allah and feel like, you know, I stand by what I said. Like I think that that was right. Even if other people might misinterpret it or whatever, I knew what I was saying, then that that's what matters. Um, because like, I mean, you know, geez, the abuse that, uh, you know, Waleed's story is his own one to tell, but I know that like the abuse and, and attacks that I've faced um, through social media in particular mm. and just in general, like I'm sure one day maybe I'll talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll come back with part two when this podcast is on its 10th year anniversary. Inshallah. I'll come back and talk about it. Like it's it's been, it has been intense and difficult and I know I have other Muslim friends, particularly women who it's just broken them. They said, wow. I, will, I will not, I can't do this anymore. Like it's wow. too hard. The the abuse that and the personal attacks and things like that. And I, I know for myself one way I think that helped me deal with it was always trying to remind myself how I respond to it needs to be an affirmation of who I am, not who they are. Mm. So back in the day when I was on Twitter, when it was still called Twitter, um, I noticed that it didn't matter what I would say or do, even if I didn't write anything on Twitter, I would be getting abuse from people. 
that it, and it was like unrelenting, unrelenting Twitter abuse. It was because I was a woman and because I was a Muslim. Love. Those two things come up, and then I was Love. in the public eye, like just the abuse. And I'd do shows like Q and A or whatever, and then the abuse would come. And it was, and I, it, it was weird because I noticed it didn't seem to matter what I did. Nothing could stop it. it. If I ignored them, kept coming. If I argued back, kept coming. If I tried to joke with them, if I tried to like warmly engage and, you know, tried to affirm, did not nothing wow. I did seem to change. And I'm like, okay, I need to take a step back and go, how can I respond in a way that is an affirmation of who I am and my beliefs and not be reactively responding to them? Mm. And I thought, okay, well, who am I? Allah says in the Quran, respond to evil with something that is better. And that that who is your enemy might actually become your friend. But respond with to evil with something that is better. So I'm like, okay, I'm always getting this abuse. And it felt like there was just this, like, all this awfulness being put out into the universe. So I thought, how can I respond? And I thought, for every horrible tweet that comes my way, I will donate one dollar to UNICEF. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. I, I thought that was amazing. And so I thought, it, and it wasn't like I'm um, I'm starting a big campaign. I didn't make a grand announcement or a press statement. Oh, I thought Allah. this is just what I'm going to do because that's an affirmation of me. It's not about you now. It, this is about me and Allah. Yeah. Give me more. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I just started doing it, just like as a, just as a, a thing that I did. That I'm like, this is me being me now. Love. This is me standing up, for, and I'm trying to redress this cosmic balance for all the awful you put out, I'm going to try to do something positive. Put in good and good and good. And so I just started doing it quietly just as my own thing. And some journalist found out um, and wrote a story about it. And then it just, you know how these things can sort of get picked up? It must have been a slow news day. And it just became (laughs) like this cyclone of attention. And what was interesting is that the more people heard about it, people like, oh, well, how about if I write something mean and then you can donate $1 to UNICEF? And I'm like, well, you could just donate $1 to UNICEF yourself. You don't have to actually do that. But, so, like, the abuse kept coming, and I do remember at one point my husband's like, um, how much have we donated to UNICEF at this point? Because it was literally thousands, wow. thousands of dollars, thousands. Wow. And it wasn't... It was said him broke. My famous for charity. Uh, and so, um, it, but what was... The reason I tell this story is because... What I did, it's neither here nor there, although I do think it is important that we always come back to who am I at my core and act as an affirmation of that, not about what other people are doing. But what I found most telling and amazing about this was that when other people found out what I was doing, they wanted to contribute. So I had two people get in touch that I'd never met. One was a Muslim, one was a non-Muslim. Never met these people and both of them contacted me privately. I'm going to sponsor your next $1,000 worth of hate tweets. Wow. So And other people go, I'm going to pay for the next 10. Amazing. I'm going to pay for the next 50. And so I think it's, you know, that was lovely in that it sort of, it showed people like another way that we can be in this toxic sludge of social media and also like that a rising tide lifts all boats when I know I'm sure you know it for yourselves I know it for me when I see someone acting in a way that seems at first counterintuitive but is a way that's an acting with integrity it inspires us to be like I want to be like that too and so that encouraged those people to do it and then, you know, so there was all this awfulness yeah. happening, but so much more good, you know, oh, and that and that was something that I think, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's not a story about me. 
but it's a story really about the the great things that the other people that, did. That's, that's really the sunnah of the Rasul Salah. Right. That, that is the key. That is the, that is the key. Yeah. And, and how do you know? And that's why I say to, so I say to a lot of brothers, I say, how do you know your value until you've been tested? Right. And a lot of us fail to yeah. understand that that's the most important yeah. time to really show Islam. Mm. Do you know what I'm trying to say? In those testing right. moments. Because if you don't, then yeah. you really fail. Because yeah. I, say to, I say to brothers, like, especially young ones, you know, they're feisty, you know, when you're 18. And I was like, oh, how dare he look at me like this? And how dare he call raghead, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I say to him, our beloved was in yeah. the Kaaba. Yeah. And his uncle's pouring guts on him, rotten guts, not normal guts. Mm. And he completes his prayer. Mm. <laughs> any Muslim in any mosque yeah. would not complete their prayer. Yeah. Completes his prayer. Yeah. And his daughter at the time curses him mm. and he reprimands his daughter. Mm. I said, that man had control of yeah. his emotion completely right. because she cursed him and he, he was so upset that he, she cursed. Yeah. And it just shows you in the toughest moments, Rasulullah never left what yeah. he stood for. Yes. And that's what you were mentioning because it's, yeah. it's very, everyone that we speak to when they, when they go down the Dawah path. Mm. Be ready for the, for the tests they say to yeah. us. Yeah. Be ready for those tests. Yeah. Yeah, you, you got to be ready for those dark moments because they, they're gonna they're gonna come. And, yes. and, and I think every one of us will or has hit a moment where you say, "That's it. I give up. I can't mm. do this anymore." And I'll, that's it. Oh Allah, I'm leaving this to you now. Yeah. Like you know, like that, that moment. You know, yeah. I mean, I think everyone says that when we get to that situation, it's like so much yep. is hitting you. Like you're bombarded. You know, <laughs> bullets, grenades. Yeah. You're copying it everywhere. And it's like. Allah, I've done my best. I don't know if I can do any more, but I'm going to live with you now. SubhanAllah. It's amazing when you said that. It just reminded me of the story of Maryam in the Quran where says, there's a time when she's, you know, you think about her story and the way she reacted and there's a time when she's giving birth and she's like, I wish I were dead. Yeah, Allah. And how many of us have been in that situation? Allah. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I wish I were dead. And how Allah responds to her. Like he doesn't say... Amen. Stand up, woman. <laughs> Stop complaining. Stop aren't, aren't you one of my, you know, servants? Uh, the compassion, he says, there's water at your feet and there's dates above your head. Be happy. Allah. Like he will provide for you in a way that you don't anticipate. He was always there. Yeah. That's my favourite so, area, believe it or yeah, not. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's like we've all had those Allah. moments. Allah. I can't do this. I can't keep going. I wish I were dead in the last. Like I'm here. Allah, yeah. I'm here. Yeah, and so we've yeah, just got yeah. to remind ourselves in those moments He's there. The, nu- the, the nourishment from him is under our feet. It's above our head. It's all around oh. us. And he's saying, be happy. Amen, that, that's, amen. that's how you've got to be in it. So on that point, did you have that moment and what mm. was it? <laughs> now, now we're digging. Now, now you're digging <laughs> deep, isn't it? Yeah, I think. We might be many of them, but we'd love for you yeah. to share one story, inshallah, too. I think there, have the one, there was one really difficult moment. My mum passed away at the start of this year. And that was incredibly difficult because she was sick with cancer for a long time. And uh, I was with her when she passed away. And it's, um, it, it was an incredibly, it was a difficult death. And I thought it would be easier. I wow. thought it would be, I'd never been with, I'd seen deceased bodies before, but I'd never been with someone as they die. Wow. And so I guess I kind of, maybe I had this TV idea about what it would be like and it was, it was really, really difficult. And it's that moment of, you know, I've given birth twice. So I've been there twice when life has entered the world. Yeah. And now I was there when life was exiting as well. And it's very difficult when that's your mother as well. It's that special relationship we have with our mums. And it's always in those moments where it's like, Allah, what's the good in this? 
Where is that? I know I trust that there is good in everything, that you put good in everything. Mm. Um, and I, I'm just going to, and sometimes we have to trust Allah more than we can explain him. Amen. And so I trust that you are a Rahman. So I know that you are the merciful, even if I don't see it, even if I feel like I can't see it at the moment, but I'm going to trust that it's there. And I think it's it's those difficult moments, you know, that you can have with your family in all these different ways, these difficult challenges where the good isn't immediately evident. Amen. You know, that difficult things can happen and we're like, oh, that was hard at the time, but now I see that was really great. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can even feel like maybe even in this life I'm not going to see the good of this. Oh, yeah. But I still have to trust that there Amen. will be good in this and that even when I don't see it, that you are carrying me. Amen. And that's and that those are the, the hardest moments I think are when I can't reason my way into seeing the immediate good. Amen. And that's the test of faith because um, it's not always going to be immediate. No, no. And that's Allah. Allah is yeah. doing what Allah wants, um, whether it makes sense to us or not. No, no, we, we, we've been in these situations like a, we, we were, we had the neighbor from hell. Okay. So we had like we had like we had the neighbor from hell for a no, year. She was she was first. No, 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 she, she was, was our best, best friend. Neighbor, best best neighbor first. Oh. But things just change. Yeah. See, we we had the best neighbor ever, which is our previous uh, pre- premises that we had. Subhanallah, she was she was the best neighbor. She'd come out, have coffee with us every morning. No, I mean, uh, best neighbor. She'd call us at three o'clock in the morning. Somebody's jumping your fence. Mm. That's how like she'd look yeah. after the business, and then mm. one day she turned on us. And uh, her mum passed away, and yeah, and she saw us as the enemy. Yeah, yeah we, she's there. That's out of nowhere. Like that. <gasps> Two but, years of, yeah. yeah. But just absolute bombardment. Mm. There isn't a complaint that has been made on a business that hasn't been made against <laughs> yeah. us. Work safe, police. Work face. Oh, there's what? a three phase wire currently sparkling outside the premises. So what happens? Work safe comes. Whoa. They are they cooking food on the floor. DHS. <laughs> We're talking wow. about uh, courts. And, you name and, it. and not only that, at our time of our. Biggest growth in the yeah. business. Mm. At that time was like, we can't handle this and this. Yeah, I was yeah, I was working yeah. a minimum one to two days a week just, just combating her. Wow. And subhanAllah, thanks to her, yeah. we have achieved success. Huh. Because without her, we, we would have never have the capacity or the know-how or even the systemizations mm. to be able to make sure you're to run squeaky clean as a business. Yeah. So yeah. Not being works have compliant. Being DHS, all the compliance thing, she forced us to be the most compliant business ever. <laughs> <laughs> which which allowed us to get the contracts at the showgrounds, which allowed us to get the contracts at the My Music Bowl, yeah. which we would need. Right, <laughs> right. So sometimes you don't see yeah. the yeah. times of fighting, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like constant. And I mean like we had to put six cameras at the front. <laughs> Six cameras pointing everything. And she just changed out of nowhere. Yeah, she, 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 her mom like passed that. away and she Something looked at us in her brain. Yeah. just happened out of nowhere. And it was like looking back, I thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for her. Yeah. But at the time the, when you're copping the bombardment. That must have been so weird. It, like, it was. It was. It was so it. weird. And like, it's me, Ahmed. Like, remember? It's like We were friends. It's like one minute. She just came to the gate. Restraining orders. We're talking about everything. No. But she came up to me. She said, you're the enemy. Yeah. Exactly. It was the first words. She came up to the gate. I was opening up the gate in the morning. She says, Ahmed, you're the enemy. And I said, Lily, it's Ahmed. I'm your friend. And she goes, you're the enemy. It's all your fault. It's all your fault. And she kept on mm. screaming at me. It's like. Had something happened politically just, no, where no, she was like no, all no, Muslims? No, 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 nothing, nothing. But nothing at all. Yeah, no, but it was after the September 11th, wasn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, no, it was, yeah. yeah, it was us, them. We were friends yeah. before, yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, no, yeah. It's just one night, mm. she, the next morning, she was just a different human being and we were the enemy wow. and she blamed us for everything that went we, wrong. We, in we took it as the biggest growth. We, but, so we, 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 we understand behind every challenge is the growth. Yes. That's where the real. Yeah. You know, and, and that would be for us one of the most challenging times that we had yeah. in, business, yeah. in business because we had to keep our business on the trajectory of growth, yeah. but also. Making sure they yeah. don't close us down. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and I imagine at the time you're like, "What? Why is this happening? What's oh, the good yeah, in I, this? This yeah. is just difficult for no reason." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we actually, we 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 actually got that badge. You have to understand that, you know, we'd get health department calling. Uh, you know, I heard you're doing this. I said, "Yeah, the, hel- the helicopter's actually landing on my building," and I'll be like, "They got that badge." So then we had to go on the counter. So, yeah. so I'd, I'd call council. Oh, look, I'm. Um, I've got this property. Oh, we don't take any complaints on that. But the property hung up on me. He got that bad that the, even council was spending so much money and time and effort on. on, yeah, on, was, on I think our investigations alone with over two hundred thousand dollars <gasps> against us. Yeah, just the investigations, not including court costs and everything else. Yeah. So just what she complained oh against us. Yeah. We're talking about you name it. You uh, changing it. conditions of parking, changing conditions of premises, uh, premises. Little, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, you name it. We, 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 we as I said to you, we went <laughs> we through everything. We went through, <laughs> we went through thick and thin for business. Wow. Yeah, was, Where oh, is she now? Uh, they ended up moving her because it was moving, a commission house at the front. <laughs> that council ended up putting pressure on uh, the commission to, to get to, her out. Yeah, she they, was a problem. Yeah. But nobody believed that. <laughs> but yeah. they, nobody they believed that. They ended up that. putting an alcoholic there. They would never come out of the house. <laughs> so they actually specifically got somebody that wouldn't move out of the house. Oh, wow. uh, we went to court. She put intervention on them. Yeah. And we went to court, subhanAllah, yeah. And she gets out and she goes, Your Honor, these guys, they let me sleep. They, 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 they're keeping noises. Yeah. They had noise monitors. EPA put noise monitors at two yeah. in the morning to listen to what we're doing in there. No, we're not there. Yeah. And then the judge goes, Oh, I feel. Feel for you, you know. I, I understand. I live across the school, and, and it's like there's me and everybody's wog standing. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm at an Ibrahim. <laughs> We're gonna get locked up. <laughs> we like, you know, we're dealing with that. We haven't done anything yeah, wrong. Yeah. Well, that was the most challenging thing ever. Aye, that's, hard. <laughs> that's hard. But we all, oh, but but it is, you know. We and exactly. We're saying, Allah, I've done all my best. I haven't yeah. done anything wrong. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. There must be good in this. Yeah, yes. and you must have be to good trust in it. it. And somehow there was. But yes. you can't say it then can't when you're no. when you're standing in front of a judge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to jail. But <laughs> <laughs> well, guess who we had, we had as our character witness? Uh, the head of council. The head of council. Oh, the head of council came as our character witness oh, whoa. because after he because he was at an us. enemy. <laughs> he was an enemy, full on enemy. Like he raided our warehouse. But yeah, and he became our. Because he was friend. like, "This is these guys yeah. are being." Yeah, like when he saw our character yeah. and what we'd done, yeah. and how we, he bec- and then. Like he goes, wow, he goes I'm coming in as your character reader. Yeah. So when we had him there, the judge like, the head of council's here? Okay. Yeah. He dismissed it. Yeah, alhamdulillah. But it's amazing alhamdulillah. How, how, how many things happen. But yeah. Allah, Allah's Allah's got, a bit. Like I said to people, this is the best time to actually show your true character. That is. That's the it's only time. when you're being tested. And it, anyone can be a nice person when things are easy yeah. and yeah. everyone's being nice to you. That's not a test. Yeah, that's not yeah it's when things are horrible. Yeah, that's, and, that's, and, that's like, and that's you, you can't, because you can't see that light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. That's the one. You know, when you can't just see that light at the end of the tunnel, you're going yourself. All right, I'm going to walk in the dark. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly But a lot it. of our youth today think the other way. They say, well, why should I be disrespected? Why should mm. I? They're not looking from a different lens, I've yeah. noticed a lot, a lot. Right, and don't you think that is where it shows just how 
disconnected we become from the seerah. Like you tell that story of the Prophet Sallam praying at the Kaaba and having things thrown at him. Like our very online attitude we all have now is don't tell me what to do. And in fact, I'm going to call you out and I'm going to, you've done this and that. Could you like? But if you have a genuine um, familiarity with the seerah, like that is not the prophetic way. That is not the prophetic way. But we, I think, it shows how disconnected we are, because that is now the norm. Like that, we call we call out people, which is in like just that phrasing alone. I think is deeply problematic, and that everyone is has so much righteous, indignant anger. That we're all being affronted instead of working on ourselves. I think one of the biggest tricks that the social media um, companies or the the model has played on us is convincing us that all the work is done online. I'm look at me posting this because I'm a good person. I'm a righteous. I'm Mm. criticizing that person. I'm posting this, and I'm a good person. And we're not doing any of the work inwardly and away from the camera. Like that we're not like really focusing on ourselves 10 times more and going, what do I need to do to improve? And am I, how am I disciplining myself? We're all all so eager to discipline everybody else. That's amazing. And that's like, that's, uh, it couldn't be further from the prophetic model. Like this is the storyteller is the perfect encapsulation. Not only did he take having the disgusting entrails thrown on him, but then he told off his daughter when she criticised them. He didn't like that. Would that was yeah, it's amazing. I, I, I do that a lot with my managers. I, you know, you know, workplaces. You know, they tend to to have, you know, head to head. So I bring him in, and I'm like, okay, we're gonna what we're gonna do is we're gonna give five nice things about this person, mm. and they very difficult, very difficult. All right, five things he's not doing in the business. Oh, <laughs> ten yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. And then I go, okay, give me five things you're not doing in the business. Yeah. Uh. Exactly. Me, I'm perfect. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> so now I give I get, me ten out of ten. So then, now the other managers obviously giving me five things about that yeah. person already. Because, yeah. And I said one of the hardest things is to look internally. Yes. Yeah, look in the mirror. Look in the mirror and see what. Because it's uncomfortable, yes. and this sort of gets back to what we were saying before. We are not willing to sit in discomfort and go, "This feels awful," and mm. I'm going to sit with this yeah, because this is where the growth is. is exactly. This is where growth lies in the discomfort. Yeah, the awful stuff is where they're great. That's why we do Ramadan. Ramadan's hard. That's the point. <laughs> you know, getting our foot to hajjud, it's hard. That's the point. Yeah, like, discipline. discipline yeah. So take us further now. Where to from here? What's happening? Uh, that's Let's... a really good question. It's funny, like, you know, when I think about my career, I've never really planned it, which I'm sure businessmen like you is a terrible thing to say that I don't have a five-year plan, ten-year plan. You failed to plan the I know, plan to fail. I know. You might want to cut this out of the podcast. But I've never had like the five-year plan, the ten-year plan. Um, I kind of, I, maybe because I am curious, I'm always like, what's interesting to me now? What's going on over here? What's happening? This looks interesting and this opportunity looks interesting and I think I'll do that. Um, I really, I enjoy being an academic. I really enjoy it. So maybe I'll keep doing that. But I don't know, like I've enrolled in a chocolate making workshop. Maybe I'll become a chocolatier. I don't know. Like I'm just. Might do a Safi Bros uh, I mean, if you could could give me one of your shop fronts out the front, (laughs) I'll be a good employee. I promise I won't report you to DHS or whatever it is. (laughs) Um, But like I think, you know, it's good when. Because I haven't had that really strict five-year plan, it's meant when different opportunities have come up, I've been like, yeah, sure, why not? Like I don't have a strict plan that I'm following. So like this opportunity to, to do this or do that or have these different things, which has meant I've sort of been able to broaden my skill set. I mean, there's there's downsides to it as well because you can feel a bit directionless and, and maybe you, you're you not building things now that you need to so you can be in the right position in, in five years or 10 years. So I, I do see that. 
but I am also kind of, you know, I think my natural disposition also is I'm just the kind of person that's pretty happy wherever they are. I'm happy being an academic. If the university burned down tomorrow and I was out of job, I'd be like, okay, that's the end of that. What's next? Like I'm I'm kind of, you know, wherever I end up, I'll I'll sort of be happy and swimming because, again, I guess it's sort of like gets back to what we were saying earlier is that what I do is not who I am. Mm. I enjoy these things. I enjoy being an academic. I enjoy community work, whatever, whatever. You know, being a mum or wife, all of those things are things that I love and they make up part of me, but they're not my ultimate identity. And so the rest is sort of the stuff around it. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. So so you're sort of giving me uh, – because we do mentoring. Yeah. And some people are extremely focused in planning. So some people are and some people aren't. So some people are like that ship. Mm. They're, they're big ship and they're heading towards there and nothing can move. Yeah. But what you're telling me is you're this little boat yeah. that can maneuver around these ships and yeah. do whatever it wants and, and inshallah grab all the opportunities that it comes yeah, across. Yeah, maybe, yeah. You see an island over there like, huh, what's this <laughs> Let's go over there. And like I said, there would be a lot of benefit and value in having that clear plan and making it get there. You know, you're moving in that direction because it means you're prepared. When you get there, you did all the things here that you needed to. So maybe I should I should change a bit, but... I don't I'm know. Like, I guess no, it's not my not my natural that's state. It. Yeah, no, just to work with your natural state. Yeah. Here's, one, here's one question for you. Yeah. You're part of the Back to the Future uh, days. Yes. So if you could hop in that car and go back to a particular time to talk to yourself, what would oh, you be? What would you say? Back to me. Yeah. Okay. Back to young you. Back to you. What would you tell you? Oh. Keep away from media. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy that you think you don't want to marry. Actually, you're doing it pretty well. Um, that's a great question. Where would I go back to me? Um... It's tricky because I feel like if I go back to any of those moments, like if I went back to me after I'd just become Muslim and said, you know, I know this is really hard with your family but things will get better and you won't feel as lonely or whatever, like I think I needed to not know that. Not knowing that and going through that difficult period where I didn't know what was going to happen was actually really important and formative. You know what I mean? Like if I went back to a different point in my life where – you know, a difficult time and to try to reassure myself about, you know, difficult family situations or whatever. If I went back, I'd want to go back. The, the things I would want to go back to in this point here or that point here and say things will get better, don't worry. Mm. But there is important growth in the not knowing. I mean, I mean. It's the tawakal. You know, I mean. it's, it's the trusting Allah in those moments, even when I don't know things are I mean. going to be okay, that things might actually turn out terribly and that that is still okay. So I, I worry that if I went back and reassured myself, what would I lose yeah, from that not exactly, knowing? Exactly. You know that's, what I that's know? so true. Yeah. And that, that, that movie shows that. that yeah. you can, one thing can change yeah. the whole and. But on that, someone sent this thing to me the other day and it was so profound. They said, you know, we all think about those movies you go back and one person puts a book in the library and the world changes. And we all accept that. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to go back in time because what could happen? We never think about, so what is the one little thing I could do now that could change the course of my future? Me just deciding I'm going to go to the gym from now on three times a week. We don't think about this could profoundly change the course of your life. We accept it. In yeah. that way, why don't we think about it in this way? The very little things can really ch- make big changes Amen. in our lives. I totally agree. That's exactly right. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. It's, it's all about change. I say it's all about change. Change yeah. is the key and change yep. is uncomfortable for any human mm-hmm. and every human being mm-hmm. out there. Like we, That's why there's change management. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's change managers. Businesses hire change management experts yes. when they want to change things. We tried to put a new buttering thing in the business, <laughs> just a little buttering thing. Uh. And subhanAllah, it, it did not even make it for three days because all the staff <laughs> they started using revolted it as, against as it. 
they revolted against it. It's like it's easier, guys. Look, it's so much no. easier. No, they revolted they against our butter hole. Didn't want the change. No, no. Yeah. And that's the thing. And then you got to educate them yeah. why and mm. how and how much is important and what it changes. And, and does, is the butter thing still there? No, or did they no, go? no that's in not. the scrap heap. <laughs> still, yeah, we bought it. We got it from the states. Got <laughs> 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 two of them. <laughs> <laughs> They're not ready for that change. You need, you need to go in and give them some coaching. should have just bought a change management yeah. expert for that one. <laughs> for the butter machine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the man, all you can do is do your best. And That's it. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. May Allah bless you. Jazakallah khair for sharing. Um, I always like to end with a, an I am statement. Hmm. An I am statement is an amazing thing. And, uh, for example, I would say... Um, my I am statement would be, I am a student ah. of benefit. Ah. For example, that's me. So that's how would you oh, give yourself an I am statement that we would like to hear Finish from? on, yeah. Ha. It's funny, as soon as you said that, the thing that came to me, I think, may not be the kind of thing you're looking for because it's not like a, like I really like yours. <laughs> I wish I thought of that. But what first came to me is I am, the thing that came up instinctively within me was I am trying. Like that's what it is. I'm trying. And the the nice thing about trying is that it doesn't contain within it that you will be successful, that you could fail a million times but that you just keep going, that you're going to keep trying at all these things. And I guess, you know, that's all any of us can do in this life. But I feel like I I will keep trying. And when I stop trying, that's when I know there's a problem. When I'm like, I'm just going to coast. Awesome. That, that's Smiler. a problem. No, yeah. not, not knowing much about you before this podcast, I totally testify that. Yeah. Like, you definitely are always trying. Allah bless your family and yourself for your hard work in the community. Thank you for having me. No, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for trusting us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wa alaikum wa rakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rakatuh.